Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Welcome in Hockey Central at noon. It's Logan Gordon along with you on this Thursday. Still awaiting a Calgary Flames game day as they're in a bit of a break as they get set to welcome in the Toronto Maple Leafs to town on Sunday afternoon. The Leafs and Oilers were billed as a big one last night. It fell short of expectations. We'll get into all of that and more as the show progresses. But we start Hockey Central like we always do. Let's check in with our Flames Insider. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Mr. Lubardius, how are we today, sir? I am uh, very, very well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Uh, another practice day for the Calgary Flames, and they would get Matthew Kachuk back out on the ice as they get set for uh, Toronto on Sunday. Well, that for sure is very good news after he missed yesterday with maintenance, and we spent, as you know, Logan, a great amount of time talking about Matthew and how he's ascended to even more responsibility on and off the ice, and in many ways, it's going to be fascinating with him to see where it goes next year when his third and final year of his new contract is up and just the way this team is trending to see if that role and responsibility grows even more. So he's played 19 and a half minutes. He has three points. He's a plus player. As I talked about, he's been in the fabric of the game been a big part of their power play, so he is off to a wonderful start. So some other observations as a result, Jacob Markstrom did not practice with the main group. Now, he skated and received work on his own. The more people that you talk to around the game and just in being lucky enough to observe the Flames' new goaltender, I can't tell you, Logan, how impressed I've been. His reputation has been that he might be as hard a working a practice player as you can find. And I'm always intrigued, as you know, by people who ask a lot of questions. And when I have observed on a very regular basis the kind of relationship that early on it would appear that new goaltending coach Jason LaBarbera has with Jacob Markstrom, well, it hasn't always been the coach going up to the player the majority of time it's been the player going to the coach and you know what my take is on that when you are constantly asking questions what are you trying to do trying to learn and when you're trying to learn as one of the league's premier goalies that says a lot about his work and his commitment too at least it does to me so my guess is that the way he works Every once in a while, you know how they've talked about the captain, Logan, where they take his skates away Mm -hmm. some days? Well, this might be kind of one of those scenarios. And then I guess the other somewhat emerging story is still no Dylan Dubé. Um, We'll have to wait and see whether he's available comes Sunday afternoon. You certainly hope that he is. But when the team constructs its groups, When you expect to have a player back in your lineup, a lot of times you'll use what I call placeholders. So you won't necessarily shuffle a bunch of people around. You'll keep groupings, and 
kind of put in a placeholder. Well, in the case of Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk, whose regular line mate has been Dylan Dubé, you find Andrew Mangiapane now in that spot. So I'm not going to play doctor on the radio, but I could very much see that not being a placeholder situation come Sunday. And, you know, we're going to get a chance in the media Zoom call today to chat with Andrew. And Andrew, talk a lot about his work and his smarts. And the one thing I've observed about him this year, maybe two things I've observed. He's just, Logan, with that excellent center of gravity, to me on the ice, he just he looks stronger. Um, so I'm fascinated to ask him if there's been any change since the bubble in his workout routine. Now, again, you know, he's getting older, and, and with that comes the understanding of, how to work your own body in the off season better, but he looks physically stronger to me. And I just think whether it was last season, what he was able to accomplish in the two playoff rounds, he's a, he's a different player. Now I just, again, I see someone who not only feels like they belong in the league, but he knows now he can make a difference night in and night out. And you know, one of the popular terms in hockey has been, you know, the old Swiss Army knife. And a player with his versatility, and I would suggest even after this year, Logan, it is a great luxury to have someone that you can plug and play in every situation and trust. So you can use him. You want a number of lines? You can use this guy anywhere. And I think by the time next season rolls around, that will be, I think he'll continue to be a guy where when you need to get a group going a little bit, don't be surprised if he's not the type of guy that you move around to do that in-game. I'm, I'm curious. I just wanted to, to pass one more by you on, on Manjapani while we're there. Do sure. you see him and Dubé in sort of a similar role as far as their development goes this year? Because I feel like both of them have taking that step to proving that they're full-time NHLers and are now looking to take the next step up from there. And I think that maybe we've talked about Dylan Dubé maybe more or in different circumstances because of his line mates and their key to success for this team in Lindholm and Kachuk. But now Manjapani sort of gets a chance to to walk into that light and a chance to play on the big line. Do you see the similarities in the sort of developmental roles for both of them to take that next step forward? Yes and no. Yes and no. And and here's why. I think Andrew, in terms of development, is a year ahead. And that has a lot to do with just age, experience, and the amount of time he's played in the league. Now, where the great separator potentially comes for me, though, is I think Dylan Dubé has, you know probably higher offensive upside. That's what I'm waiting to see him unlock. So that's the difference. Yes, like you, Logan, I group them very much the same way in this regard. Would I see both of them this year as two guys who have another level and would be kind of your breakout players? Absolutely. But I think just because of time and experience and age – Andrew, who's older by a couple of years, 
just he's more seasoned. He's more seasoned. And and I think, you know, I see Andrew on a really good team, and this is becoming a really good team, is in the role that I talked about. You know, you move him up and down, top six, top nine, whatever, like all day long, all day long, wherever you need him. First line, second line, third, you need him to check, you need him on the power play, wherever you need him. With, with Dylan, who has not quite gotten to that point, my feel on him is I think the offensive ceiling and upside and his ability to be more of a dynamic player is different. I, I see one guy as an incredible worker that can give you 50 points. I really believe that. That's Andrew. I would say in the right situation as Dylan Dubé continues to grow, and I don't like to put points on people, but but I see it different. You see, you see where I'm going with it? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's how I would answer that. That's a great question. We're chatting with our Flames insider, Peter Labardi, is here on Hockey Central at noon. You can catch him at this time every day or on all of our Flames broadcasts. He's the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 9 at 60. The fan, Lou, it's only been three games into this season for the Flames, but one player has been a, a pleasant surprise for you so far. Do you want to have a guess? Is it Nesterov? It is Nesterov. Yes, it is. See? How is it not? It is. The guy just <laughs> looks like he just walked into this. I wouldn't have guessed that he was in a KHL or away from the North American game. He's been impressive. Well, I think one of the great advantages that you can have sometimes if you watch a lot of hockey outside of the NHL that I'm surprised and pleasantly surprised, but I'm not shocked because when, when I've watched this player going back to his time in two world juniors for Russia, Logan, he played in the world cup in 2016. So that's the last best on best type event that we've had. And now granted, the Russians have not been overly strong on the back end for a long time, for a long time. But to be in that grouping, you've got to be a pretty good player. And in watching him in a couple of world championships and in the Olympic Games in 2018, I just I saw a guy who I thought, if he wanted to return, would have a chance to be a pretty good NHL player. And I've seen that and maybe a little bit more. And and what I've loved about him is he's in a perfect spot. You know, he's played as many as 17 minutes average right in the 15 neighborhood. But the other part of growing your team that I've loved about him is the fit that he has been with one of your up and coming, growing, developing key players. And that's you. So now, even in the game a couple of days ago against Vancouver, I thought Yuso had a tough first period, and, and, and everybody knows how much I love him, but he hasn't played a lot. And the way he plays, there's going to be some nights where, you know, the risk will outplay the reward. But when you have somebody who's just an excellent pro like Nesterov, who's played in big games, albeit it's not the NHL, well, guess what? Big games, Logan, are still big games. They're not in the best league in the world, but... 
I've always been a believer that the more of those types of games at any type of level you can find yourself in just makes you better. Because the pressure in those situations doesn't necessarily, like, if, it might seem different to us, right, between the 2018 Olympics and the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm not trying to say that the level of play isn't very different. You think there wasn't a little pressure in Russia when you play for your country in that situation as, you know, the high, high-end favorites? That's still pressure playing in world championships. Big games matter. And the more of them you can have in any situation, the better. But that's the combo, and you chat with Jeff Ward, and Jeff generally, and it was the case yesterday when he was asked about him, he just smiles. And and I know why he smiles, because, you know, it's for you so Valimaki, it's like having a nice warm hoodie on back there. You know, it gives you some a guy that you can trust and lean on and they talk a lot. It's been a good pairing. And, and it's not the only reason, because I think there's a bigger reason why the group of six has been so good. We're going to talk about him tomorrow on the program. Um, but Nestor has been a real pleasant surprise. And there's probably a number of things that go into this, but the coach and, and yourself are, of the mindset that there were a couple of reasons as to why it's been a, a smooth start to this season for the team. And uh, it, it has to do a lot with, with chemistry and the guys that have been here for a while, isn't it? It is, but I want you listeners and you Logan to listen to Jeff. He was asked by Ryan Dietrich of the flames, um, who does such a great job for the flames with their, their web and their media team. And, and he asked Jeff about not the subject that Jeff used to talk about, but he talked about, you know, his group is confident. They've all their best players have scored and been involved, but I want you to listen to this clip. And then I want you before it gets to me, Logan, to see if there's anything about what Jeff says that really strikes you. So let's play that clip about Jeff Ward and his team's early season success. It's a tight team, you know, and it has been for a long period of time. And uh, don't ever underestimate how important that is. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, these guys really enjoy playing together. They, they enjoy being around each other. I think that helps feed to the confidence. Uh, you know, they really are doing a great job this year challenging each other. Um, and so when you get... You know, as it, when you get some balanced scoring like we have early, um, you know, it just, it just makes everybody believe a little bit easier. Um, and I think the other thing is, is that, you know, we're starting to see that, you know, we're playing the game the right way more consistently um, than in some previous years um, in some in some previous periods of time. So and we're getting a little a little bit rewarded for that, too. Well, I, I think there's a lot there that he, he makes okay. a good point of, but I, I think it's probably the, the challenging each other part there that stands out for me. There it is, and that's what it is for me too. So, um, you know, and Jeff, whether he was an assistant or the associate or whether he's the head coach, Jeff has talked a lot about he's used the C word, the culture word. Um, he has spoken to us many times after games about it's not just about liking one another and being a tight group, which is 
where he started, but in the middle, exactly. He talked about their ability to challenge one another. And in every relationship with every team, sometimes things don't get fixed because it's not easy with your teammates. It's not easy with your coworkers. It's not easy with your boss to have hard conversations. They're difficult. But I don't think in anything in life that you don't have growth until you have the ability to not only care about one another, which this group has for a long time. They do. They like one another. And I think part of what they learned came from the bubble experience. They like it. I think they thrived in it because they do like one another. But the next step is demanding more from one another. So, yes, Logan, like myself, and I had a pretty strong inkling you'd find it, that of all of it, and it's funny, in reporting, you get taught about, I've always tried to use the sandwich approach. And the sandwich approach is you kind of start with a nice piece of bread, you, you have the meat in the middle, and you end your story with a nice piece of bread. Well, of everything you just said, guess what the meat was? The meat was how they've gotten better at challenging one another. And it's massively important. I think it's a huge step. And so when I heard Jeff say that yesterday, tells me a lot about the growth of this group. And I do. I think a lot of it started in the bubble in the summer, and it's carrying on to begin this season. Last one for you here, Lou. And uh, we, as we sit and wait for the Flames to get back onto the ice, we've uh, turned our attention to some of the other games, and we were expecting one game <laughs> yesterday to be uh, a, a matchup of epic you didn't proportions. The one that went the way it did to go the way it did. No, did and then later on in the night we get this absolute <laughs> what do we call it a barn burner between the Canucks and oh. the Habs, and man, it's just and this is what I love. This is the best part about the Canadian division is. Don't get me wrong, Edmonton, Toronto would have been great if they were, you know, back and forth like the Montreal-Vancouver game was. But, you know, if we didn't have this Canadian Division, we probably don't have Montreal-Vancouver doing this last night. It was a lot of fun to watch that game. It was it was a great game to watch. And for coaches and, you know, people who have the higher appreciation of how the game is supposed to be played, I don't, I don't think Travis Green and Claude Julien <laughs> were uh, – probably uh, hoping for more of that tonight when they play again. We loved it as fans. And and then the other side of the coin was the Oilers and the Toronto Maple Leafs and, you know, all that star power and all that high-octane ability. And and you could almost see it early, Logan, that this can happen in certain type of matchups. Even, you know, in the sport of football, this happens sometimes. And you've got two unbelievable offenses, but they're so respectful and wary and game plan about the ability to shut down your opponent that sometimes your best people can get away from, in some respects, what they do best. And while it's never popular in this marketplace, I always want to give credit where credit is due. And while the Leafs had the puck the majority of the night, it almost took me back a little bit. Granted, a very different style of team. Like Columbus is miserable, and they were miserable to play against in that playoff series against Toronto. And Edmonton's never going to be that. 
But, you know, for an Edmonton team that uh, was having a lot of trouble defensively keeping pucks out of their net, you know, you have to give the Oilers some credit from go- for going in there last night and buttoning things down and keeping that Leaf group to one goal at a time when, you know, their season, that looked like the last place that Edmonton needed to go with where their game was trending. So, you know, and, and here's the other thing. I don't know about you, but, you know, we know where our bread is buttered. We obviously, uh, there's good reason for all of us to hope that the Flames have a good year in so many different ways. In the Canadian division, I don't even know what to hope for anymore. You know, no, you watch, no idea. You watch those games last night. <laughs> like, but the great part is, you know, for the most part, it's I'm not a fan. I, I, I'm so lucky I get to watch and cover and talk about hockey for a living and have for what feels like 100 years right about now. Um, but that's, that's an interesting part for me, too. It's, it's not defined because every game in the division is, is so important. And I guess the one thing you don't want is what happened, you know, at the end of the night in Vancouver. You don't want a lot of those. You don't want the three points. No. Even I can, even with my lack of math, you know, not a bad memory. Math, well, I can be okay with math. But, yeah. um, you know, even I can get that one. I don't want a lot of those as the season goes on. It'll be interesting because I think it's going to be uh, one of those things where it's going to shape out and change on a almost day-to-day basis as we get things going uh, down the stretch in this uh, this North Division. Lou, it's always great chatting with you. I appreciate yeah, the you time. Too, my friend. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow, and we got another edition uh, of Lou's Mailbag to get to before the Flames game on Sunday. Awesome. Looking forward to the question, your questions. Feel free. Love, uh, love Tim Collins and the people over at Roos Chris. And yeah, we're going to make somebody happy tomorrow, which always makes me happy. Sounds good, pal. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Bye now. Thanks, Lou. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Goaltending has been a big story in this city and across a couple of different landing spots in the NHL. We'll hear from our goaltending analyst, Kevin Woodley, who joined Ryan Pinder a little bit earlier today to go a little bit deeper into what goaltending has done for this Calgary Flames and the difference it's made across the NHL as it was a busy offseason when it comes to goaltending. Our Thursday regular here on Hockey Central at noon is going to be Kevin Woodley going forward. We'll hear from him next when Hockey Central returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hockey Central at noon continues. It's Logan Gordon along with you this afternoon. We'll start a new feature here on Hockey Central at noon as we hear from our goaltending analyst, Kevin Woodley, every Thursday at this time on Hockey Central. He joins Ryan Pinder during the morning show and then again here with us during the noon hour. He covers goaltending for In Goal Magazine and for NHL.com, and there's been plenty of goaltending news around the NHL, not just here in Calgary with Jacob Markstrom, but how things are going with Braden Holpe and Thatcher Demko over in Vancouver. And across the NHL, we check in with our goaltending analyst, Kevin Woodley, with Ryan Pinder earlier today. Kevin Woodley of Ingoal Magazine and NHL.com. Kev, how are you, sir? I'm recovering, buddy. I'm recovering. That was, uh, I was huh. from, a, 
it was entertaining, I'm sure, for the fans to watch that last night. From a guy who hasn't covered a game on deadline in 10 months, that was, she's a little bit hectic. <laughs> yes, a little okay. so, bit hectic. So for clarity, we know you as our goalie guru that checks in once a week, but you are the uh, Vancouver Canucks beat reporter for NHL.com on top of your in-goal magazine duties. Um, there, you, there would have been, uh, what, a few rewrites down the stretch there with the, the wild twists and turns that that game took. Well, and it wasn't, I mean, not to lowest me on deadlines. People are like, this guy gets paid to watch hockey, should shut the hell up. Um, but it, it wasn't just the twists and turns that each had a plot line that, you know, could have been worthy of, of a lead, right? So sure. Especially with, with the Foley and, you know, I mean, looking forward, the Canucks lost two defensemen last night. Alex Edgerly leaves in the second period. Travis Hamannick leaves in the third. Neither return, no updates. These two teams meet again tonight. Um, you've got goals everywhere. You've got the free agent that the Canucks basically ignored in free agency despite spending big assets um, to acquire at the trade deadline last year despite a ton of success in their top six. They basically ignored him. He signs in Montreal. They choose to basically spend the money elsewhere, say retaining Jake Bertan in part of it. And he comes in and, and scores his first three goals as a Montreal Canadian against his old team, like a take that moment. Yeah, there was no shortage. Power play for the Canucks, over 15 going in. They popped three on six chances. Uh, so, yeah, lots and lots of storylines, lots and lots of angles. And for Canucks fans, a bit of good news because it was looking pretty ugly there for the three previous. Well, and that late goal felt like that was going to be it. Like, geez, you, you 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 get all that offense, you get the, the power play woes in the rearview mirror, but then yikes look out you're staring at a loss and then Besser's second of the night ties it up very uh late I shouldn't say very late with uh, about three minutes and nine seconds left a quick response uh Toffoli would have been the story but now it's Besser at a pair and Horvat with the shootout winner plus uh three points in regulation the the, the defense has got to be troubling too that's that's not an area of great depth for this club to begin with and well, well, top four away. gone yeah, that's that's the takeaway is is this team's inability to defend, um, and it ties to the guy stopping pucks in your market now. Um, we've said this for a couple of years that defensively this is a bottom bottom ten, bottom five for long stretches team, and they were bailed out by Vesna caliber goaltending. And so if you rely, you you can have a good goalie. It's okay to have a Jacob Markstrom playing like a guy who should have been a Vesna finalist last year. You're going to hear me say that a lot, by the way, because um, he really should have been. Um, but relying on it is counting on it. That's tough. And this is a team that defensively has counted on it. They went into the playoff bubble, and they were better. They made some adjustments in their system. They got buy-in, and everybody always likes to point to personnel on the back end. And that's a big part of it. But a lot of it is five, you know, what you get out of a five-man unit. Are the forwards coming back? Are they in the right spot? Are they, are they you know, are they helping out their defense? It's you know, it's not just the two guys who have a D in front of their names. Um, and they got that in the playoff bubble, and the thought was, okay, well, maybe maybe Travis Green can get, sort of get their defensive attention for the season. Well, whether it's the fact that they have three new pairings, because um, it really has been that much turnover, Schmidt was playing with, with Edler, although they changed that last night. Hamannick with Hughes, Hamannick replacing Tanev, um, and Ole Olevi uh, for the first four games, although he was a healthy scratch last night, and Jalen Chatfield made his NHL debut. That's a lot of turnover on the back end, and they are bleeding goals. Um, goaltending hasn't even been that bad. Goaltending's been as expected, basically. If you look at the statistically, they've gotten the saves they need. 
What Markstrom used to give you was the saves you couldn't expect from anyone on top of that. Some big, you saw that in the game against Vancouver the other night. Yep. Momentum changers in the first period that allowed his team to find its feet. He's really good at that. Um, it was a calling card here in Vancouver. They're not quite getting that big momentum changing save right now. They're getting the saves they should expect, and they're giving up chances that you just can't expect your goalie to stop, and, and on a lot of them, these guys aren't. So there's a lot of you know, they got a big win last night, but there's still a lot of questions here in Vancouver about what this is going to like look like moving forward defensively. Can they fix it defensively? Because it's not just that they gave up all those goals last night, Ryan. Like they had four leads in that game. That's like, right. Like yes, yeah. they came back late, but only after blowing four different leads. And this is just guesswork. Because believe me, I was happy to have an NHL.com hat on last night, not a goal magazine. But I'm pretty sure because because as a goalie guy, that was, was not pretty. But I'm pretty sure Carey Price isn't giving up five anytime soon. No kidding. Um, and so what do we know about the nature of the injuries to Hamannick and Edler? It looked like Hamannick stayed on the bench while Edward, Edler left. I mean, are, is there a thought that both are gone tonight? Is there any confirmation of what lies ahead? There's no confirmation, no indications. And it's tough. They've canceled their morning skate this morning. Uh, no media availability to four. And because you don't, it, it's going to be, I'll be honest, I was just trying to figure this out with my bosses at NHL. Like, it, it's hard to even have educated guesswork because the roster moves don't have to be submitted till 2 o'clock, right? So we don't know. And there are, you know, if they bring someone uh, like a Brogan Rafferty up off of the taxi squad to play they're gonna to have to put somebody on injured reserve and now you're missing whether it's edler or hamannick for at least a week mm-hmm. so tough decisions there because your alternatives are you bring in Ole levy um who's a healthy scratch last night and that's fine he played the first four games mixed reviews um but mostly steady and in, in very very limited um sort of very carefully planned minutes against low-end competition um, and but the other option is Jordy Ben for a second defenseman, and he had his first practice yesterday with the team of the entire season because he was in COVID protocol. So we won't know until later today. Um, but I get if you if it's kind of one of those things. I was going to say the bigger question is if it's long term, especially for Adler, because of what he means to a penalty kill. That you know, again last night they only gave up one power play, and the Habs converted it. So that PK is, again, another trouble spot for the Vancouver Canucks. If they're missing Edler for any, and they missed Hannah, but if they're missing Edler for any stretch of time, it's going to be in trouble as well. So short-term and long-term, there are more questions than answers when it comes to the Canucks back end right now. One more on uh, the team, and then we'll get a little more goalie-focused. Uh, I have been a Jim Benning detractor. I think that there's been incredible cap mismanagement. I think it's an incredibly expensive bottom half of the roster that really – isn't much better than replacement level, if that at all. And I think that that bad GMing in terms of the cap led them into not being able to retain to Foley, not being able to keep Markstrom, although there certainly was a a, a big uh, bullet to dodge with the expansion draft. And there's other factors there, but I, I really don't like how he's managed the cap and how much money he's given to really average players. Next year, they need new deals for Quinn Hughes and for Elias Pettersson, pre-COVID, those might have been ten million dollar players on long-term deals, and maybe they get them on bridges now. But like, how much trouble is there brewing? I know there's some deals coming up, but like, it's not like six million on Edler is, isn't money that they're going to have to spend to replace Edler anyway. Yeah, and that's that's the that's that's the big question. And listen, there are people here that 
will will back Jim Benning. There have been some nice moves. Um, I'm with you. I'm sorry. I, it's hard to ignore the cap issues because of the bottom end of the roster. And I think that anybody that does gloss them over, hey, give credit for the good for the hits. Give credit for the draft picks. Give credit for, you know, hey, I was one of the ones that was critical of giving up a first-round pick for J.T. Miller. J.T. Miller is absolutely straw that stirs the drink with the top six here, and he's been a big part of this team both in the room and on the ice. So I'll eat crow on that one. But when you have a bottom six with where Brandon Sutter's making, you know, pretty much the same money it would have cost you to retain Tyler Toffoli, um, when you've got Louis Erickson making six million dollars and not even on the roster, uh, when you've got, and it's not just it, it's all the ones that compound around that, like Antoine Roussel, and yes, he had an ACL injury that slowed him down. Like he's, you know, he's struggling to be an effective fourth liner and, and, and he's on a big ticket. So Jay Beagle, similar question. Like it's not just that you paid for, and they were, they were, all of them played roles in their playoff run, but all of them are overpaid. And anybody that argues otherwise, I just, they, it's sort of like a version of Trumpism. Um, there's just this blind spot for can do no wrong. This roster construction has problems, and they are coming home to roost already this season. This is a year where you've got Hughes and, and Pedersen on entry levels. You've got the pandemic driving prices down. This is this should have been a go-for year. Yeah, totally. This should have been a go-for year where you could round out the roster with bargains on the bottom six and really uh-huh. effective bargains that had to take those contracts because of the pandemic. And instead you've got more money being spent on a, on the bottom end of a roster that's that's not competing right now. So it's it is a problem. There's not much they can do about it unfortunately right now and you're right. There could be more problems next season despite some of that money like Sutter uh coming off the books completely. Okay, let's get to the goaltending side of things. Uh are you expecting to see Thatcher Demko tonight for the Canucks and Yeah, the, would, I for sure. They'll and continue Carey to Price alternate no? and I would expect Jake Allen to go for Jake the other Allen. end. Okay. Yeah. That, that might be one where you you do wonder, like, do you give Carey Price a chance to bounce back? He's Carey Price. But it's three and four on the road. Um, and that's, to me, where where the back-to-back thing comes in. It's not so much consecutive games. And I said this about Miko Koskinen, because when Mike Smith got hurt, they had to play Miko Koskinen back-to-back against the Canucks in their opening series. And he played well in the second game. They played better defensively, and he played well in the second game. And I was like, see, back-to-backs aren't a problem. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Back-to-backs aren't a problem. Watch what he looks like two nights from now in the third game in Fortnite. It's recovering from the back-to-backs, especially as goalie ages, where you see an effect on their play to me. And part of this is borne out from a conversation I had with Luongo towards the end of his career, where he, the last five years, unless it was an emergency, like they had to make the playoffs with a win kind of thing, he was sitting out the second end of back-to-back because he told me it took him a week to recover. Now, he was up into his late 30s at that point, but my point is, in a condensed season, why add that recovery time to either guy? So I would expect it to be Jake Allen. This is why you got him, and then you come back with Carey Price on an afternoon game on Saturday. It's a great point, and I, I agree with you. Like People talk about back-to-backs like that's the hard work, and it's not easy, but travels less than it's than it's been in years past and the schedule's condensed but not dramatically and traditionally it's always been that third and four four and six where teams really fall flat never mind if you're asking a goalie to do all that stuff yeah and it'd be interesting i'm, I'm going to be curious to see how how um jason labarbera and jordan sigalette handle marstrom because if you look at his track record here in vancouver they played him on both ends of back-to-backs a lot of, like i don't have it in front of me the numbers of 
I'm about to say a lot, but it seems like it, it happened more than it was happening anywhere else around the league. It wasn't all that uncommon, especially if they had injuries or ineffectiveness behind them. Like if Anders Nelson was going through one of his struggles two years ago or Demko was missing some time last year, they wouldn't hesitate to play Marks from back-to-back. And he was really good in the second end of back-to-back. Where you start to wonder is, you know, there's also been an injury history there. So does overplaying him for stretches lead to wear and tear that, you know, that maybe makes him more susceptible to that? I'm not saying I have the answer, but in a year where there is more pressure on the goaltenders physically and mentally from the drain of, of a pretty condensed season, uh, I just think if you've got a second option, you use it. And, you know, especially for your team that has visions of making noise in the playoffs because you want your guy to be fresh when it matters. Uh, Price is the perfect example of that. Uh, he played some of his best goal in the bubble after all that time off and looked nothing like the guy who normally sort of is dragging by the end of a regular season. Uh, as for the Flames, they've got five-day break, which feels criminal in this tight schedule to have oh, five days it? without a game. Never mind if you did, it would be at the end of the season and you'd have some runway to put in games that were missed. Uh, not the case, so I don't think they'll have any trouble going back to Markstrom for one hey, of the next two some against Good, good uh, news, though. Good news. Tell me. Yeah. Chance to break in all that sick gear, Jacob Markstrom. That's okay. So, all right. Goalie guys are usually gearhead guys. Uh, the reverse retro setup. Tell us about it. Oh, well, wait till you see what David Riddich has is coming, and I'll, that's, I'm going to have to leave it at that because I may have seen a sneak peek but been sworn to secrecy by the equipment company. Um, <laughs> let's just say your reverse retro fans are going to be loving what David Riddich has coming. Uh, it should be there soon, too. Well, the, Markstrom no, normally, was in the year we, yesterday. We geeked out. Photos came. What, what's that? Markstrom yesterday at practice, there's photos of him in the gear. It looks yes. – uh, I like that color scheme. I never loved the logo. I always thought it could be more than it was. But the color scheme is – you don't have to sell me on that. I like that. Well, there's there's a story here, though, on Jacob Markstrom breaking out that gear. This isn't just the goalie geek and me going, wow, like, look at that. Um, what a sharp setup with the, the dark base, black with yellow and red trim. This is the goalie scientist in me going, look at that. He was not a – he would not have been – a lot of people said that looked like Canucks colors, Ryan. Wouldn't have been allowed to wear that setup in Vancouver. Would not have been allowed. No dark edges. That's the rule of the Vancouver Canucks goalie coach, and everyone rolls their eyes at it, but there are a few around the league that have it. The theory is dark edges provide uh, a distinct sort of framing and outline of where the goalie is and where, more importantly, where the goalie isn't and the net is open. Uh, white edges provide more ambiguity in front of the netting behind a goaltender. And in the split second, a uh, player has to make a decision. Uh, goalie coach like Ian Clark here in Vancouver insists that his guys maintain that ambiguity in terms of that split second. Where does the goalie gear end? Where does the net open? Um, and so he has a rule about no dark edges on the outer roll. And I did think it was interesting that as soon as Markstrom was away from him, there's an all dark set there in Calgary. Because I know a lot of goalies think it's hogwash, but um, <laughs> there's there is there is a rule here in place. I'll give you another one. Thatcher Demko for the Canucks retros last year uh, when they wore their the skate downhill Getty plate dark jerseys. Demko had in his mind a Kirk McLean tribute set that would have absolutely killed. Um, but it was next because it contained a whole bunch of dark edges. So we're talking about an optical illusion here. Are you a buyer or a seller on this, or are you just going to play the middle like you have so far? 
I like to sit on the fence when it comes to criticizing goalie coaches who, who uh, yes. are, are amongst the best in the league. Um, you know, I've heard both sides of it. Uh, it's Carey Price in all red gear right now. Um, you've got Marc-Andre Fleury early in his career was a big part of this conversation. Remember, he had the bright yellow pads. And then in a play, I think it was 2012, an Ottawa optometrist, someone wrote a story with an Ottawa optometrist saying that yellow is the color the human eye can pick out fastest. In other words, huh. if a player wanted to know where his gear started and ended, he was wearing the, the worst color possible. And he went away from it for years. He went to white gear, predominantly white. Now he's back in gold in Vegas. So even the trend itself comes and goes, but you know, not to pick on Ian Clark here in Vancouver, there are a handful of goalie coaches around the league. Um, you know, even I've heard stories of guys not knowing the rule, ordering a dark set and the equipment manager contacting the goalie coach and having it gone. So some guys believe in it firmly. I personally, hey, it's beer league. I suck. It doesn't matter what I wear. But at the NHL level, if you think it's even a 1% or half a percentage difference for a shooter finding a spot, I think you probably got to gotta take it seriously. It's really not helping the cause of, you know, we used to say goalies are weirdos, and now it's like, oh, maybe they're less weird, more normal, and then you hear stuff like this, like, no, they're still weirdos. Goalies are still weirdos, Kev. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we wear, I, honestly, I don't know why we just don't wear that, that badge with pride. <laughs> yes. Just own it. Own it and That's bask great. in it. Uh, you're not born. I love goalies. Maybe that means I'm a weirdo. I, I got. Uh, I don't have more fun and better conversations than with uh, the former goalies around. I and mean, we got some gems here. You know, Jeff Glass is now in San Diego. He's a Calgary guy. Barry Bruss, LaBarbera is a good chat. There's there's some uh, there's some gems around here that played the position. It requires character to stand in front of a hundred mile an hour slap shot. <laughs> Indeed. Who have you liked uh, out of the gates? Tough to not love what. Simeon Varlamov's done, although uh, I, I always do wonder. Everywhere Barry Trotz goes, the goalies get better. Yeah, there's, hey, those things, hand in glove, man. Um, you, you'll hear me say this a lot. Goaltending never exists in a vacuum. It's a product of what's in front of it. Um, just like the Vancouver Canucks goalies here can't really be blamed when the defense is as porous as it is. There's only so much you can do. And in the, and, and in the case of Trotz and his systems, it's not just that Like, don't take credit away from the goalies. It's just that the work they do systems-wise goes hand-in-hand with the work that his goalie coaches, Mitch Korn was it for years, now he's his goalie director, and they've got Piero Greco on the ice day-to-day. Like, they go hand-in-hand. The work they do with their goalies is designed to fit the system. I remember having this conversation with Robin Lehner during his one year uh, with the Islanders. In terms of managing screens, and all teams do it to an extent, right? Like, there are systems in place for how a team blocks shots and how a goalie handles a screen. If I've got a guy in front of me in the middle of my net and I need to pick whether I look around him on the short side or the far side, that's a big decision for me as a goaltender. On a team like the Islanders, it's made for me because the rule, and the rule for a lot of teams, though, is generally short side looks. But the Islanders are so good at making sure their, their players blocking the shot on the outside, challenging, is taking away the middle. That's a rule. They, they do it. So Robin Lehner's like, yeah, I know I can look short side. Because if I get caught looking at the short side when the puck is shot back the other way, my defenseman, that's the lane he's blocking shots in. And so just the degree to which they execute that hand in gloves, not just that it's good defense makes for good goaltending, but that everyone's on the same page and the goaltender is able to execute his system within the context of the Islander system, 
is huge. And, of course, the other big thing, and you look at the goals here in Vancouver last night, how many were, you know, tap-ins off the rush. The Islanders don't give up rush chances. And, again, it was Laner that said this. He was coming from Buffalo. He's like, we would see three to five odd-man rushes in a game in Buffalo. They were pretty bad that year, so I, I believe them. He would see one odd-man rush with the Islanders every two games. They don't take chances in the neutral zone. They don't turn over the puck. They don't give odd man rushes. And as any goalie will tell you, Rainer said, I could be playing really well and on my game. But if you give me four odd man rushes, there's a good chance, and they convert the passes, there's a good chance one of them, maybe even two, is still going in even if I'm playing well. So if I see four a game on one team and one every two games on the other team, guess where my numbers are going to be better? No question. Environments matter. The other guy that's impressed me, I was going to say, is Mackenzie Blackwood. Take a look at those numbers early. Forget Corey Crawford oh. leaving, and that may yeah. have problems in terms of resting him and waiver claims and Aaron Dell and Eric Comrie and the merry-go-round there. But there is no question about how Mackenzie Blackwood has played early, and that's why um, anybody that suggested in the offseason that they needed a long-term fixing goal in free agency was crazy because you did not want to put a ceiling on this kid. He's legit. Yeah, they weren't paying attention. He's he's steadily improved and, and I think played very well and maybe not an easy environment the last few years. Um, yeah. Okay, what do the Oilers do? You talked about the goalie carousel that's existed with, you know, Crawford retires and now New Jersey's claiming guys and then the Leafs are trying to hide Dell from getting claimed but then they eventually do put him on and now Edmonton's missing Smith. What's the next stop? Because it does feel like Edmonton's not quite happy with what they've got. They need someone to eat some minutes from Miko Koskin and it was good last night, but... Again, a 324 GAA and a save percentage barely over 900. That's that's not what they need for uh, for the playoffs. They just got to get through this stretch, and it'll be interesting to see Smith out. They put him on LTIR, so that's minimum 24 days from from when they did it. Um, so they're going to be missing him for a while. They got Troy Grossnick. Like this, the merry-go-round was crazy, right? And and it wasn't just about Crawford leaving the Devils and them having a need and, and claiming Comrie. It started with you know. Carolina claiming Anton Forsberg essentially as an insurance policy because they expected to lose Alex Nadelkovich, an AHL goalie of the year and Calder Cup winner just a couple of years ago when they put him on waivers. So they claim Forsberg. He stays in Edmonton in a holding pattern because they didn't want him across the border unless they needed him. Nadelkovich goes down and doesn't get claimed. And, you know, you could make an argument there that if you're the Oilers and Ken Holland, you should have maybe made that claim then, but they were worried about the, <clears throat> the two-week quarantine. So Carolina just dumps Forsberg. Well, now Winnipeg has a need because of the timing. And and Jersey can't afford to wait on Aaron Dell, which I think a lot of teams were. So Winnipeg claims Forsberg because they know he hasn't crossed the border and he's still in Canada. Mm-hmm. And now Edmonton goes and gets Troy Grosnick because Smith gets hurt. Now he's got to, he's got to cross the border, and, and, and he's basically till the 28th he's out. <laughs> Things were so up in the air that Troy Grosnick got in his car and drove from California to Edmonton, right? Crazy. He hit, and he was eager. This is a great opportunity for him. He's keen. He gets up near Montana. He's thinking, I'm going to be there a day early. Phone rings. Troy, we need you to, whoa, slow down. Maybe drop the car. Maybe find a spot. Mm, somewhere in Montana. Stay the night. We don't want you to cross the border tonight. We just claimed Aaron Dell. If we get him tomorrow, we're going to put you back on waivers, and you can end up going with the Kings. And this is credit to them. They didn't make him cross the border. If he gets picked up by L.A., they don't want an extra quarantine the other way. They want him to be able to get in his car and drive right back to L.A. Um, that's the type of craziness we have right now. Jersey gets Dell. 
Grosnick, they tell him to cross the border. So now he's up in, in Edmonton doing his quarantine. He'll be there when they get back. And listen, I'm not going to pretend that he is like going to come out of nowhere at age 31 and save their season and, and be like five years older Jordan Bennington. But Troy Grosnick can play. He's had, a, he's had a hell of a last couple of years in the American Hockey League. When the Kings signed him, Bill Ranford told me they believe he is ready for sure for an opportunity in the NHL. And I wouldn't be surprised. As bad as Edmonton could be defensively, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the most of it. Like, he's not just a no-name, only two games in the NHL, and at the age 31, ignore him guy. He can play. So I'm happy for him, and, and I'm, I'm hoping it goes well there. But on the flip side, who knows how long he's there? Because Jersey gets Dell. They could very, very well wave Eric Comrie. They haven't made yep. up their minds there yet because it's thin behind him too, but they could wave Eric Comrie. Winnipeg could decide, well, even though it's a two-week quarantine, we wouldn't mind having Eric Comrie back. We've invested a lot in him. He's a draft pick. He knows it. We'll take Eric Comrie. Winnipeg says, okay, so what happens then? Well, Forsberg goes back on waivers. Edmonton says, well, hey, well, we sign the guy. I know their goalie coach likes the guy. Let's take him back. He's already in Canada, no quarantine. Oh, my gosh. And then Troy Grosnick, what happens to him? He ends up going back to L.A. Like, at some level, I understand this is, for Troy Grosnick, this is waivers working the way it's supposed to work. He gets an NHL opportunity. But it's hard not to look at this and all of this travel and border crossing in the middle of a pandemic and say, maybe, just maybe, we should have thought about adding a third goalie exemption on waivers to the taxi squad because this is a little bit nuts. Totally. So that what you just walked us through is um, no one could have conceived. Although if you probably went and played the you know little game theory ahead of time, yeah, these situations are going to arise. And you're right. If you could put a guy on a taxi squad without waivers, none of this happens. So weird. Uh, thanks for the chat. Always appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Perfect. Thanks, Ryan. Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine. Yes, our new Thursday regular here on Hockey Central at noon. Kevin Woodley. Our goaltending analyst from InGoal Magazine and NHL.com. You can join Ryan Pinder in the morning and then again here on Hockey Central at noon. That'll do it for the show. Thanks to Peter Labardius for joining us a little bit earlier today. Thanks again to Kevin Woodley and Ryan Pinder. We'll be back tomorrow for Lou's Mailbag and a look ahead to the weekend for the Flames when they take on the Toronto Maple Leafs for the first of two at home. Still a couple days away from Flames hockey. Peter Klein starts off the big show next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.